The other day, I uh, was doing my morning meditation. I do a, on Tuesday and Thursday morning. I do a meditation at a yoga studio in Burbank, seven o'clock, seven a.m. And they have a jar of little pieces of paper with sayings on them, and I rarely pull one, but I pulled one the other day, and it said yoga calms. I can't remember exactly, but something like yoga uh, calms the agitation in the mind. Oh, meditation does that too. And then I started thinking about what agitation is. What are the agitations of the mind? Which got me to thinking about the hindrances, which is what I decided I wanted to talk about tonight. Which is a beautiful um, example of how the mind works. It's like, oh, that reminds me of that, which reminds me of that, which reminds me of that. And some, when all of a sudden you're nowhere near your, where you are. Um, but that, that was a, that I was able to follow that one. So what are the agitations of the mind and how are they calmed? And so I did think of the hindrances. And I know you probably all have been in, in Dharma talks about hindrances, so here's another one. But I don't think it's ever uh, a problem to be reminded of how our minds work. And there's a, there's a quote from the Buddha in one of the suttas. And he says, the hindrances are five obstacles that overwhelm awareness and cloud the mind. They're five things that um, overwhelm awareness and cloud the mind. And I remember I was, in a, a, um, I was on a retreat a number of years ago, and the teacher talked about sometimes when your mindfulness is not strong enough, it can be overwhelmed by what's coming at it. And when we're not trained, when we're not paying attention, before, we pra before I started practicing or even paying attention, I was just kind of caught up in whatever was going on. Wherever my mind took me, that's where I went, without discernment, without wisdom. And it wasn't always a fun place. A lot of times it was caught in fear, fear about the future, fear about the past. What did they do? Did they like me? Did they not like me? Did I make a mistake? Am I going to make a mistake? All those things, we get caught up in that. I wish that, I want that's really shiny, I want that. How do I get that? What do I have to do? Can I manipulate? Can I get a job? Can I steal? And that stuff's just running through our minds. And so this is, I've never, I, I don't think, a mistake to be reminded of what these things are like. And in A Path with Heart, Jack Cornfield um, talks about them as demons, the demons on the path. And that's what we, you know, that's a fanciful way to talk about it. But it's important to really pay attention to these things. In the four foundations of mindfulness, in the teaching of mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, in the fourth foundation, they are the mindfulness of the dhammas, mindfulness of what is happening. And there's the hindrances. That's where the hindrances are, are talked about. But it's also, they also are the seven factors of awakening, which are the, the flip side of the hindrances. So when the hindrances are not present, you then have mindfulness. It's mind, uh, seven factors, mindfulness, effort, you make the effort, um, uh, investigation, seeing clearly what's happening. Then there's, there's tranquility, there's calm, there's equanimity. So those are the things that lead to awakening. But you can't awaken if you've got these hindrances. So 
That's why it's good to pay attention. So what are they, now that I've been talking all around them? And the first one is sensory, um, sensory pleasure. Wanting good, wanting pleasant smells and tastes and touch and sight. We want things to be lovely all the time. Um, fixating on something outside us that will make us make us um, uh, make us happy. Uh, desire, desire that leads to craving, that leads to wanting things. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be fancy things. I. Um, we get, when we're when we're when we're caught in um, hindrances, we're we're deluded. And I was I was having breakfast with a friend of mine last week, and she was talking about this relationship she was in in college, which was not really a good relationship. It was it it, it wasn't working out. Um, the guy wasn't he was kind of abusive, but she had this fixed idea of who he was, and we get caught up in our conditioning our fixed ideas of how we want things to be. So she said, this is who this guy is. And she kept staying with him and staying with him in spite of every pointer to the opposite, that he wasn't like that. It's like, no, but I want that. It's like you're in love with your fantasy. And you're, you're stuffing this fantasy onto this thing that no way, shape, or form matches it. You, you're caught up in the craving, the idea, and you want it to be that way. And what's the result of that? Suffering, unpleasant, unhappiness. It's, um, you know, we, we get caught up in, um, in fear. We get caught up in greed. We get caught up in grasping. Um, in Path with Heart, Jack Cornfield talks about this this hindrance, this this wanting sensual pleasure, this this craving of things. This craving is often underridden by the basic craving for for food, for feeling safe, for connection. So underlying it, there's really wholesome necessities, but they get blown out of proportion. And we, with all of these, with each of these hindrances, there's the inability to be with what is. If something is just not what we want it to be, we don't say, okay, that's the way it is. We go, no, 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 no. What is it? They put pig on, lipstick on a pig? <laughs> a phrase that kind of refers to this kind of thing. It's like, yeah, that's really ugly, and I'm just going to paint it to make it look 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 nice. We get caught up in that. Talking about my cat, um, I these cats that I have, and for those of you who don't know, I, I talk about my cats a lot. Maybe that's why I have a cat thing on the, on the uh, little altar. Um, these cats I have, we have, don't sit on my lap. And I want them to. Sit on my lap. No. Now, I have a choice. I can go, okay, this is who they are. And I can say, that's the way it is. Oh, well. Or I can bemoan it. I can go, let's get rid of them. Let's get more. You know, keep getting cats until you find the ones they could, you know. And that's a silly example. But we do that with so many things. We manipulate. We, we, we stuff the square peg into a round hole. You know, because we're driven fear. If I don't get this, what will happen? 
I need this to be okay. Because we've created the scenario of what your life needs to be okay. And it's all that conditioning, that idea of what you have heard. White, white teeth or whatever. Whatever it is, we, we crave that and we think we'll be okay. But the problem is, and the Buddha says it's like this craving, getting caught up in this sensory craving, is like taking out a loan. And you get what you, you get your loan, but at some point you're going to have to repay it. It's impermanent. It doesn't last. Because we've all gotten what we've wanted. And none of us are living happily ever after. I would imagine we still have things that we struggle with. So to really be, be careful with that, or if you get into this place of longing, that's also the hindrance of, of craving. I wish it were so. Wishing we had a different political situation in our country. You know? There's the reality like this is the way it is, but fantasizing about it different, you know, this longing for something different or, you know, longing for the innocence of the past, which is just a made-up story. You know, back in the day when it was lovely and nice, and it's like, I don't know what planet you're on. You know, after 9-11, they were talking about, I've told this before, but I remember after 9-11, there were a lot of uh, musicians who were talking about canceling their concerts and things right after that happened, and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young decided, I can't remember where they were going to play or not going to play, but they said they were, they, um, hopefully they'll perform their concert because it will bring people back to a more innocent time. And I'm like, the 60s? With all those assassinations and all the civil rights and the unrest and the riots and the, what, what 60s were they living in? You know, this longing for a reality that doesn't even exist. So watch yourself if you get into these places. That's a hindrance. That's a hindrance. It's not based in reality. It's based on some idea of what you want things to be like. So uh, letting go. Letting go. Really letting go as much as you can and... and just seeing that it's craving and coming back to, and can you be okay with the way it is? It's kind of an antidote to that for uh, a bit. Um, the next one is the, is, is the flip side of that, ill will, aversion, really having a, a, an aversive reaction to the, rate, the way things are. It's, it's driven by anger, which so often underneath is fear. It's, it's you know, the same driver, but I, you know, they say, uh, Fight people have these tendencies to fight, flight, or freeze. Fighters, I think, go to this ill will aversion hindrance often. Um, fleers go to the um, the craving. You know, they go in the, the opposite direction. You know, there's, they always say there's two kinds of people. Um, I mean, we all have each of these to some extent, but some of us move towards one. I'm the, I'm the greedy type. I want the shiny stuff. I'm not the aversive type. Most of the time, all that doesn't mean I don't have anger, don't experience those things, but that's not my go-to. Um, and that's where we want to hurt. We want to, this delusion, um, this delusion 
thinking that things are wrong and we get angry about it and we, we um, develop resentments and all these things that have this really harsh, harsh edge to them, that doesn't do anything. You know, that we can be angry, we can be aversive, we can have ill will, but what does that do? It's internal. We're the ones who are suffering from it. What is the Buddha's like, you're holding a hot coal. Or they say, you drink poison and wait for the other person to die. That's, that's what this, this, second, um, this second hindrance is. It's the, this delusion that we think me, again, think me, think things need to be a certain way. So if you're caught up in fear, judgment, critiquing, snarky, you know, snarcasm, word I like. If you're continually judging others, or yourself even, that, that's this hindrance of aversion and ill will. Can you see that for what it is? Even boredom is this dislike of what's real, what's, what your experience is. Boredom is a dislike of what's happening. That's a flavor of aversion. Defenses, you know, I talk about the undefended heart a lot. Having those defenses, that's, that's aversion. I'm not interested in feeling what's, what's happening to me. So I'm gonna just shut down. I'm sure I've, I've shared it before, when my mom died many, many years ago, I was not connected, to, I was not interested in feeling anything. And so I said, give me a beer, I'm not feeling this. And I also didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to be reminded of it. She died back east. I was in California, I was in, I was in LA. And I was just like, Mom, not feeling this. Except the problem with those types of things is that the, those feelings don't go away. They go somewhere else and they come out perhaps in inappropriate ways that, um, that cause even more harm, that double down on more harm. When you don't, when you're not really taking the time to deal with what's happening, you're just causing more damage. And then you sit down to meditate and here it all comes at you. And you've got grief and remorse and guilt and all that stuff coming, 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 coming. And then you have to deal with it later. So it's like, pay me now, pay me later. And I've become the, let's just deal with it when it's there. Without kicking the can down the road. So one of the ways to deal with this um, really painful, that can be so painful, aversion, ill will, anger, resentment, is loving kindness. It's a practice of loving kindness towards yourself, which is challenging, so challenging. Anybody have just like right off the bat that that works? It's no, it's, it's challenging. Um, you know, so bringing yourselves into that awareness that, oh, this is, it's, and it's so easy to feed that. It's so easy to feed that. So to be willing to just stop, which is why we train our mind in meditation, to see when we're not present and to let go, come back. You're training that mind. The next one is sloth and torpor and sleepiness, drowsiness. And what it is, it's a dullness. 
And it's, and it's, it's just kind of like, and again, it's another distraction from being with reality. And it's almost, I heard it described, it's like you're sticking your head in the ground like the ostrich. It's like sticking your fingers in your ears. La, 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 la. If I don't listen, it doesn't exist. I don't have to deal with it. So there's this sleepiness. There's this dullness where you just, you know, sometimes you do fall asleep. You know, but sometimes you, you sleep a lot. I did, I, I've gone through periods in my life where it's just like, you know what, I think I'd rather just take a nap. Because I don't want to have to deal. I don't want to have to deal. Or we use these other distractions. We get involved and, you know, now we have our devices that we can, we can carry our distractions around with us 24-7. That's a really good way not to interact with the reality of your being. So if you find yourself somehow getting stuck in those places, I find myself, I've been playing a lot of solitaire, and I'm like, okay, this is a timeout. What's going on here? That's a, that's, that's a red flag for me. You know, it's like, oh, okay. I mean, I'll play a game here and there, but if I'm like doing it, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. So learn your own uh, ways that you just kind of check out. That's, that's this hindrance. Of course, we all can do and play and have fun, but what, what do you do? Sex and drugs and rock and roll and shopping and, and everything like that there. Um, there's a... Uh, what is it? Um, you know, sometimes it's not because we're lazy. We don't do these things. We don't check out because we don't want to really do. But again, underneath, there's fear. So much of the, so many of these hindrances are driven by fear. What's going to happen? You know, reality is not matching what I want it to look like. And it gets really scary, and we deal with it, with craving, with aversion, with, with, with sloth, with torpor, with drowsiness. So the, the antidote for this is to, to really energize, set goals, do, do those types of things. Breathe, walk around, stay present, get active. Um, really let go, just stop. Again, that the, the practices, the habits you develop in meditation, when you notice you're doing one of those things, can you just stop? See it for what it is. Or, you know, do a, a post-mortem and go, oh man, I was doing that yesterday. And then maybe the next time it happens, I can stop maybe in the middle or stop it before it starts. Just cultivating awareness. Now, having these hindrances is not your fault. You can't help it. This is, you know, this is how we grew up. This is how we developed an interaction with our world around us. I don't think anybody taught us a lot of ways. We just kind of fell into these things because they worked. They helped us manage difficulties. But it's not always the healthiest way. It's not the most beneficial way. And, it, and it's a cycle that keeps going and going and going. And the Buddha says, like, stop. Just stop. And start where you are. You're not going to get this overnight, but just really make the effort to. I was talking about this the other night in the class I do, and it's like, um, this is not something, okay, in four months you should have this. And if you don't have this done and taken care of in four months, you're just awful, go somewhere else because this isn't going to work for you. It takes what it takes because we didn't get here overnight. It's going to take practice, it's going to take effort. 
and we continue to, with the, like they say, peel the onion, you'll get the surface stuff, and then you'll drop into deeper and more subtle ways, and you'll start saying, wow, I can't believe I still do that, or look how this is showing up. And sometimes things are dormant for a while, and then they pop up later, again, and I'm like, oh. And the question is, what's going on? What's underneath? How do I still my mind to be with what's underneath? And that's, that's you know, that kind of drives me into the next one, which is restlessness or worry. I always forget the worry that's attached to the restlessness, that, that, um, that um, hindrance. Restlessness, worry, remorse. You know, sometimes it's just the mind's going a million miles an hour. We have monkey mind because we move so fast, we don't have time to be with what is. It's kind of, the, again, the opposite of, of sloth and torpor, which is just checking out. This one, it's like, oh, I'm not even going to be, I no time, no time, got to go, got to go, got to go. Busyness is its own um, uh, delusion. If you stay busy, you don't have time to be which is why meditation is so hard for people. Because it means stopping. It's why retreats can be so hard for people. And I have had, I don't know how many conversations with people who are getting ready to go on their first meditation retreat who are terrified, absolutely terrified that they won't be able to do X, Y, or Z. And what about this, what about this, what about this? And I just, my, my stock answer now is it's not prison. You know, because they think we're going to chain them to their cushion and they're not going to be able to leave. And it's like, it's, it's okay. You know, it might be difficult. It may not be difficult. You don't know until you try it. But it's, but we get into this fear of stopping. Because I won't be able to handle it. If I start crying, I'm not going to be able to stop crying. We hear those types of things. People are so terrified of connecting with their emotions. So there's this restlessness and this worry that arises. Again, it's a hindrance. Can you calm the mind? You know, um, we, we can make peace with the restlessness and recognize that a lot of times with restlessness, acknowledging that that's what it is kind of helps dissipate it. It's not a guarantee, but I've had, I've had that experience where I'm like, Especially in meditation, where I'm like, I got this, I got, there's too many things I have to do. I don't have time to just sit here and breathe. Ah. And then when I can go, oh, that's restlessness, it's like, oh. It doesn't always, but naming it, it's like, I see you, Mara. I see you for what you are. It, you shift your perspective on it. And another thing that um, they talk about is developing gratitude. You know, you can't be grumbly and grateful at the same time. You can be grumbly and then grateful and then grumbly and then grateful, but not at the same time. So really cultivating gratitude, it's important. It shifts those neural pathways. That's why I like to do that at the end of meditation. Really spend time. It has a beneficial impact on, on the mind, on the brain. It's really beneficial. So that helps to calm or count your breaths. If you're, if you're really like having a panic, a panic attack, just stay where are your feet? You know, breathe. Breathe in three to a count of three. Breathe out to a count of five. That has a, a, an actual impact on the parasympathetic nervous system. You do that. So do that. Do that. So 
And you know, I should have said if, there were, if there's any questions while I'm talking while with any of these, please feel free to jump in. Now that I'm almost done. Um, <laughs> so anyway, and then the last one is doubt, which is really powerful. That's that questioning of Eric. Can I even do this? Does this even mean anything? Um, you know, it can it can be paralyzing. It's too hard. Whatever, again, there's fear underlying that. I'm not good enough. There's this sense of inadequacy. It's too hard. When we have perfectionism, that really doubt can creep in, especially if we're, you know, as we go from has to be perfect, and if it can't be perfect, then fuck it, I'm not going to do anything. You know, it's just we go back and forth, back and forth. I was talking to somebody last week who's very close to finishing this project she's been working on for a very long time, years. And so, and it's almost like the, 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 the last bit before you really finish is the hardest, because that's like the doubts and everything come up, and she's, she's just, just drowning in doubt and fear and what if, all those questions. And she's ready to just like trash the whole thing and pretend it never happened. And it's like, you really don't want to throw out 15 years of work. She's been writing some stuff. And it's fear. Can you, can you get in touch with the fear? Can you get in touch with the fear? You know, and see it. See it for what it is. And really, again, reshift your perspective, your focus, and saying, you know, cultivate that faith. That faith that, oh, you've been doing this for a long time. All of you have been meditating. I'm sure you see some change from when you first meditated to where you are today. There's been an impact with utilizing this practice. Something, even a little bit, even a little change. Maybe you don't flip people off at the red lights anymore. If they cut you off, you don't jump on your horn and on. You're so, you don't, you know, what, it can be simple. You know, it can be simple. Maybe you don't wake up in the middle of the night in fear of what's gonna happen. You know, any type of thing, oh, because I can see clearly what that is now. So trust that this doubt is impermanent too and will pass. You know, really recognizing the, the, the teaching of impermanence. You know? So um, so those are the hindrances. And there's another, there's another I, I was reading this other article by Ajahn Ram, who's a teacher, um, a monk, and he talks about, um, he's talking about delusion, and the hindrances are all delusion, and we react to this delusion in these various ways, and he talks about it's our perception, and that's true. We have an idea of what things are supposed to be like, and then we get fixated on it, and we create our reality based on that, and we either crave, or we push away, or we get you know, lost in restlessness or, or torpor or just doubt everything. Those are really very common reactions to a reality that doesn't match our, our fantasy, our way that it is. And he talks about the, our views are based, our views, which is what we develop, the way we think the world should be, through whatever reason. We have these fixed views of how things should be. And he goes, our views bend our perceptions to agree with the view, our perception, we see things. Like I was talking about my girlfriend. She had this view that this guy was the guy. 
And then reality was going, uh, no, red flag, red flag, red flag. And she'd go, no, no, I'm just going to ignore that red flag. And I'm just going to go, no, this is, he's really the guy. He's really the guy. Oh, you know, maybe when he hits you, it's like, no, 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 that was just a thing. It's my fault. Um, so our views bend our perceptions to agree with the view. And then the perceptions form the evidence for our thoughts. And then the thoughts argue in support of the view. And then it's a self-justifying cycle. It's the process of delusion when we live in the bubble. You know, and it's the bias of the brain. You know, we, we find the things that support our point of view. That's what happened. That's, look, at, look at Facebook. Look at social media. Look at our country today. People can look at the same thing and come away with two totally different perceptions and, and explanations of it. And, and if you're talking to someone who has the, an opposite view, your jaw drops. Your jaw absolutely drops. It's because we're so often locked into our need to have things the way we want them to be. And that just feeds our delusion. It feeds the hindrances. And there's no way out. There's no way out. We can't fight our own, we can't fight a way out of a paper bag. This is, this is being caught in the, um, you know, we can't see the water that we swim in. Because we're in it. We're caught, they call it, the, the, the latest word for it is the bubble. We're in our bubble. And we surround ourselves with folks who are in that bubble. You know, uh, what's, I, can't, I can't remember the term. It's slipping my mind. The bias. Um, excuse me? Confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have that confirmation bias in the brain. You know, and it's like, um, he gives a bunch of examples. And he's like, he's, here's one I like. It's like, ask yourself, is meditation easy for you? If you hold the view that meditation is difficult and you're attached to that idea, then it'll seem difficult. Where'd that view come from? Maybe when you first started meditating, it was difficult. And so then you said, meditation's hard. So every time you, you meditate, it's hard. Not that it is, but that's the idea. And I, talk, I give this example because it was happening to, happened to me years ago at Against the Stream. I was teaching, and it was the summer, so the air conditioner was on. And if you were there, if you remember it, it was loud. And it would blow right where the podium was, where the teacher was. And there'd be a click, click right before it would turn on, click, click. And so I remember one time it was so brutally cold and I was freezing to that because I don't, you know, I like cool, but I, don't, I hate air blowing on me all the time. So I was teaching a class and I was leading the meditation and I was like, okay, everybody, you know, let go, come back to the present and I'd hear the click, click and I'm like, oh, fuck. And I'm in my head going, I'm going to freeze to that. I'm going to freeze to this. This is awful. Ah. And then I'd be like, from that to the moment and I'm like, ah. And then somewhere during that meditation, I said, maybe I should actually do what I'm telling them to do. And I let go of that idea of, I hate this air conditioning. I hate it. It's going to be so cold. I'm going to freeze to death and go, what actually is my experience in this moment? And I was like, oh, it's actually fine. It's not bad at all. Oh, this shit works. Oh, okay. It's like Ajahn Sumedho, I think he was talking about being in, uh, we were talking about heat and humidity before class. He was in Thailand and it was like, you know, 100 degrees and 100 degrees humidity and temperature and it's brutal, the tropical 
the heat. And he kept sitting there going, I can't stand this, I can't stand this, I can't stand this. And it's like, oh, when you stop and get that idea out of your mind, that, that broken record, it's like, oh, I'm actually standing it. Unpleasant, unpleasant, but I'm standing it. And that's what we have to do when we look at these hindrances, when we're caught in that bubble, that, that, that perception, that idea, instead of that fixed idea is, is really uh, such a barrier to ease and freedom. And that's why, you know, beginner's mind is so important. What is this? Even if you've done this a hundred thousand times before, ask the question, what is this? Experience it in the moment. Because it's not going to be the same as it was the last time. So often we want things to be the same. If we have a good experience, we want to recreate it so we have that experience. We're going to invite the same friends over. We're going to serve the same food. That's our superstition. It's really what it is. It's superstition. So, you know, chasing the dragon. Chasing the dragon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? The same high. That fix. It's like, i got to have that one again. And it's like, you know... It's like, oh, that hadn't been fun for 14 years, but we're still going there. We still go because we're chasing what we think it needs to be. So those are the hindrances. And it's like really, again, wanting to identify what those feel like for you. What, what's your kind of your go-to? Where do you end up? And, and identify what they feel like internally what the ideas are, what, you, what are your stories. You know, mine, I'm always on the outside looking in, I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's that, that, that outsider, that longing, that wanting to be whatever. And it's like, is that really true? Is that really true? And so when you find yourself lost in that story that's yours, stop, question. Is this real, or is this just that old cycle repeating itself again? And can you let go, and can you come into an awareness of what's actually happening right now? Right here, right now. That's the most important thing. So, you know, you start where you are. You start with what's bringing you discomfort in this moment. Because, you know, if, if you're just off a little bit, that's where you want to go with this. So those are my thoughts on hindrances. Um, any questions, comments?